like rats eating your feet that's final straw (laughs) i'm out of there welcome to please bless this podcast this is the podcast where two sisters talk about all things mormon and pop culture and um sometimes trash mormon films sometimes the stupidest movie you could ever imagine yeah gets discussed and no offense eviscerated yeah um (laughs) i'm elisa i'm katie what's the terrible film we're discussing today katie oh today we're gonna be talking about the other side of heaven Mm -hmm. classic mormon cinema the classic 2001 high budge for mormon films Mm -hmm. um annie hathaway yeah disney distributed Mm. beautiful film it has the most credibility of any like explicitly mormon film for (laughs) sure because of that disney distribution Mm -hmm. the star power we have Mm -hmm. anne hathaway but even the star christopher gorman he's like been in stuff for sure yeah he was in popular he was in um ugly betty sure he's in lots of stuff He's a, he did, you know, he, there wasn't anything wrong with him. Um, uh, not according to some of the reviews I read, but <laughs> sure. Um, he, I actually read an interview with the director of this movie, Mitch Davis, who is a Mormon, right. who said that he hired, he chose, um, Christopher Gorham for this role because he had a light in his eyes. And I can see that. I can see what he saw. I can see the little Mormon, the little squirrely. teenage mormon guy yeah i see it you know and i think that that's where um he went right for me i don't think he was necessarily a great actor but i i uh i bought i bought in i bought him as a mormon missionary a hundred percent hundred percent yeah yeah so a little context um this movie was is based on the memoir of john h groberg Mm -hmm. who was a missionary in tonga in the 1950s and then went on to be a general authority um and he did a fireside at byu my first semester at byu about this movie wow and president hinckley was there and the messaging was like throw your money at this this is a big deal for the mormons yeah ugd better get out there and take your friends yeah yeah. And and like this is going to be this huge missionary tool. Yeah. Yeah. They really tried to pump the like the spiritual experiences, the like uh miracles mm-hmm. into this film. And it's just so funny. It's like one of those things that's like such a delight to Mormons. Mm-hmm. Like a Mormon loves to see that like missionary performing the miracle blessing on the child yeah but to anybody else watching they're like and that's when i turned it off yeah you know i can't remember how i felt about it in 2001 i don't think that i like loved it it wasn't something i um felt compelled to like rewatch again and again Mm -hmm. but i definitely wasn't self-aware enough and um world aware enough to recognize how problematic this movie is 
as an 18 year old like watching it now i'm horrified yeah by how imperialistic and racist and sexist this movie is and it like doesn't paint the church in a positive light like it's basically like this kid getting put through the ringer in the first place in the first act just to get to his mission which honestly the abuse of the missionaries rang true for me (laughs) that was true to my experience as a mormon missionary like it's a brutal job and the church is just like good luck yeah there's this scene i did not remember at all at the very end of the movie where the um people in tonga where uh elder groberg has been serving for three years give him his burial clothes that they've been holding on to for the three years he's been there because salt lake sent them there like in for when this kid dies yes here are his burial clothes don't tell him you have them yeah gross i was on my feet (laughs) that is shocking and it's played off like a joke and I'm like, the church sent that guy there to die. To die. They were like, seventy five percent chance this kid dies. Oh my gosh! And how is that okay? It was just a very uh, different experience watching it from yeah. my current vantage point. I was, yeah, I was horrified. Yeah, throughout my first note, there's something about an unapologetic white savior tale mm-hmm. because from the jump it's just ah, just you know this oh he's going through so much to get there and he's gonna like he's jesus christ himself Uh you know he's made this ultimate sacrifice and so he must be holy he must be trustworthy right i mean there's a scene where his mission companion who's a native tongan they're having a conversation and and El- the Elder Groberg character is like, why do you believe in me so much? And the guy's like, you wouldn't have come all this way to lie. Right. Great. As if the act of, like, inserting yourself into another culture makes you, <laughs> like, inherently honest, yeah. inherently good. And they really paint him out to be like a miracle worker. Like from mm-hmm. the moment he gets there, he's like frustrated by not knowing the language. And can we talk about the sequence where he sits out on the on the spit in the water and learns the language by reading the Bibles together? <laughs> and it makes it seem like he just sits out there for days. Yes. Basically not eating, not drinking, not sleeping until he can speak fluent tongan and that happened i'm gonna tell you that that did happen yeah there's just no way that that there's no way well no that's not how learning a language works (laughs) and they're trying to play it up like it was this miraculous thing and he like showed his dedication and so the lord just blessed him with like a gift of tongues basically yes which is how the church frames learning languages on a mission it's always framed as this is a gift of tongues from god not this is a systematic like approach to learning language right. and it you're will a human get you, you can learn you can yeah, learn other languages sure. with time and practice and it's easier when you're in the native speaking country so right go 
Yeah. I'm um, calling bullshit on that one. It didn't happen that way. Well, 100%. <laughs> okay. I have some funny notes. Can I just Please. rattle? Some yeah, of yeah, them yeah. Off? So the movie starts and they're at BYU in 1953 at a, like a sock hop. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the title screen flashes BYU 1953. And my brain immediately went, haha, no thanks. um this is not a comedy this is a dark story Yeah, immediately (laughs) darkness fell over the film and um yeah saw cop choreographed dancing yeah i'm sorry also didn't happen the way she's getting flipped and her skirts are flying up i was like byu 1953 that is not happening and she would get x Spelled. You are being a little immodest, sweetheart. Throughout, to be honest. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Unfortunately. Yeah. A the true cl- believing Mormon would not wear that that dress on the beach. No, 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 no. No, no. Go on. Um, some serious quivering between them, mm-hmm. like on the swing set when they have their little "It's a Wonderful Smooch. Life" Jimmy Stewart moon moment. He's like really uh, the way we're introduced to their relationship is that he's kind of jealous and possessive of her and that's apparently cute and yeah. charming and she right. loves that mm-hmm. and that's sort of their dynamic throughout the movie like her only role in the movie beyond those opening scenes is just we hear her voice at, as she's like narrating the letters she sent to him in Tonga for three years yeah. and that's the only thing thing tying their relationship together right um and then every now and then he like hallucinates and he sees her running on a beach in a white dress like a perfume ad right that's it that's all even in the letters she's just like maybe i love you maybe i'll marry this other guy i don't know what do you think he proposed to me i told him i'll think about it he proposed again can you believe it oh my gosh and i'm like this is not a real relationship no and these are not likable people and their dynamic doesn't seem that healthy to me no and you know uh needless to say this guy's gonna come back with some pretty serious ptsd yep and you don't know each other and she's been holding out for three years Mm -hmm. that's a lot of time for resentment to build up and expectations to build up Mm. it's gonna be quite the honeymoon phase Ooh. yeah i wouldn't wish that on anyone um on his way to tonga so on his way to Tonga, I mean, how long does it take? Like 50 days or? A long time. A long time because he gets stopped. Nobody is expecting him anywhere he lands when he's in mm-hmm. Samoa, when he's in New Zealand. Like nobody is expecting him. He ends up in jail in Fiji because mm-hmm. they're like, we don't know who you are. You're going to jail. I made a note that the Fiji, the jail in Fiji didn't look that bad. <laughs> Um, because I think they just threw him in like a barn or something. He was just chilling with some animals playing his trumpet. Yeah. And that was kind of nice. The trumpet is a supporting character in this film. Yeah. The journey to Tonga was brutal and disorganized. And again, it made me think about how missions are so traumatic 
you're just like sent out by the church with like not a lot of care and concern for your well-being and a lot of oversight to make sure you're going to be like safe i lived in some real shitholes on my mission yeah and i was in the united states (laughs) oh you know like i can't imagine what missionaries in across the world are faced with yeah as like 18 19 year olds it's it's brutal and unnecessarily brutal before he even leaves he's at the train station with his family and his mom says don't come home early as if that would be the worst thing that could ever happen yeah cut to them eating uh thanksgiving dinner not having heard from him for three months yeah and their yes. family's just munching away on their thing because there's been dinner. a hurricane and the island's been cut off from supplies and they're slowly starving to death yes and the worst thing that could happen would be for him to come home early Ooh. he might die mom yeah good thing that guy gave him his jam good thing mm-hmm. that old man died for your son Jeez, i know like get a grip mormon parents if you think it's some great tragedy for your kid to come home early from a mission there are a lot worse things that could happen to them seriously including a lot of things that happen on a mission right in my notes under like the trauma of emissions i wrote special shout out to the rats they ate the soul i was just gonna say i was gonna say if like rats eating your feet that's final straw i'm out of there rats ate the soles of his feet Mm -hmm. now i remembered that scene differently and that it might have just been my like 10 year old brain Uh i remember seeing the rats ew you created rats in your memory of this yeah i actually hadn't thought of that since yesterday i should have looked that up maybe that's just mandela effect or something but that's a when that thing. scene came on it just showed him waking up and putting his feet on the floor and there were like pools of blood like he's bleeding out because these rats just went to town on the soles of his feet while he slept mm-hmm. but i tell you i remember <laughs> you know <laughs> that's a trauma response maybe maybe <laughs> that was a very messed up scene it was super graphic And then also there's all this like loaded religious pressure around it because Mm -hmm. there's like this competing minister on the island who's like, well, he had his, the rats ate his feet because he's being punished. He's like a mess, you know, God's punishing him or whatever. Right. And, um, and so he decides with the help of the other Mormons on the island that he's gonna walk again after three days to prove that God has healed him. Yeah. Because he's but his, Jesus. His feet are still like gnawed to bits and bleeding. Yeah. And he's just walking on it anyway. I know. It didn't make a lot of sense. It and didn't the land. the music swells like there's been some miracle. And I'm like, no, he's just unnecessarily suffering. Right. He's still horribly injured. To create this illusion of a miracle. Right. So we've dug into the movie already, but just backing up to context for the movie. Oh, sure. A couple of things 
I want to point out. One is to just point listeners back to episode four of the podcast where we reviewed um, Pride and Prejudice, a Latter-day comedy, because we dug into this like early 2000s Mormon cinema boom in that episode. And I think that's really relevant context for this film. It was just right at the peak of that. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, one other thing, too, is that Mitch Davis, the director, did this extremely bizarre interview for the Deseret News just a couple of months ago. I know. The title of the article is, Which More Accurately Portrays Latter-day Saints Under the Banner of Heaven or the Other Side of Heaven? Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> just comparing those two things is so funny to me. And the article is truly, it it doesn't really address Under the Banner of Heaven at all. No, no, he's just rambling about his movie. Yes. And it's clearly just trying to emphasize uh, uh, the other side of heaven was an accurate portrayal of Mormons, obviously, because it was made by a Mormon guy. And here he is talking about Mormonism so positively. Right. It was just kind of unhinged. Yes. Um, But a couple of things he says that I thought were interesting. He was like, the other side of heaven should have been the beginning of making high budget Mormon films instead of this like kind of anomaly. Right. And that's such a shame. And he kind of is blaming like cancel culture and just like he says there's too much anti-Mormon detritus (laughs) out there (laughs) that would keep you know, Disney from distributing an explicitly Mormon film or Anne Hathaway starring mm-hmm. in one these days. Yeah. And um, that to him is so clearly like a big problem. And then he says this, this is the best quote. It would be interesting to see what a Latter-day Saint filmmaker could do with a compelling story and a $150 million budget <laughs> like Top Gun Maverick. No LDS filmmakers have ever been given these tools. And and they so deserve them, you know? I mean, to be fair, I would watch the hell out of that movie. Out of a, a Mormon version of- $150 million Mormon movie? Yeah. Bring it on. I mean, if, if Tom Cruise is starring in a movie about Mormons, I'm going to that movie. Oh my God. Can you imagine? You know what I really do want to see? Let's combine a couple of things here. I want to see the $150 million budget Mormon movie, but I want it to be the like cut scenes from under the banner of heaven where it's like joseph smith and the way back in days mm-hmm. being super creepy i want them to make a 150 million dollar movie out of that. oh yeah i mean mormon history has great source material for like a big budget hollywood movie yeah that if was someone kill. wants to go there but the mormons are gonna hate it i was thinking about the church in tonga and i know we've talked about mm-hmm. this a little bit especially in our manti teo episode yeah but explicitly focusing on tonga i was like what is the situation with the church in tonga these days mm-hmm and the church website claims um, over 68,000 members in Tonga, which is over 64% of the total population. There's a temple, there are church schools, there are 21 stakes, multiple missions. So well over half the population they're claiming are members of the church. Um, however, 
there was a census survey in 2016 in Tonga where 18.62% of Tongans self-identified as LDS. That sounds about right. That is a massive difference. Yes. <laughs> well, I think it goes to show the church doesn't account for dead people. Um, it's like counting children yes. in families that like aren't even active and right. haven't been to church since before those kids were born. People in Tonga aren't removing the records. Sure. I mean, people everywhere aren't removing the records. But 18% to 64% of the population is such a massive overreach. Yeah. Zoinks. In numbers. So that was really interesting to me. Um, <clears throat> Mormon missionaries have been in Tonga since as early as 1891. Mm-hmm. They actually didn't have a lot of success in the early days. Yeah. And there was this period of time in the 1920s where Mormons were prohibited from entering Tonga. Which is dope. There was the Passport Act of 1922 prohibited Mormons from entering yeah. Tonga. They're sketchy. They're trying to indoctrinate people. It's, mm-hmm. you know just shady imperialist bullshit yeah i mean and that's all true and the church was able to mend fences and get invited back in but the fact that that was the case is interesting yeah um then there's this sort of missionary boom in um the decades following that ban Mm -hmm. and um we get john h groberg's story happening in the 1950s and then we have john h groberg going back in 1968 and being the mission president and this is a little tidbit that i think is hilarious yeah so one of his initiatives when he was the mission president was that he wanted to host a 50th anniversary golden jubilee and the reason he wanted to was because he'd had a dream as a missionary in the 50s that he would come back one day and host this 50th anniversary. The right. thing was, the 50th anniversary of what? Right. Nobody knew, including him. Yeah. He couldn't actually wait 50 years post his mission. Sure. that's too long. And his mission alone, you know, isn't cause for a jubilee so like what is the 50 years of what that we're celebrating and then like it just so happened that someone who the like wife of a former mission president was like well actually 50 years ago was the first mission conference so he was like great that's what we're celebrating but it was in retrospect it wasn't like that was the plan all along that's so bizarre i just found that so hilarious but Mm -hmm. also exactly representative of what like a mormon mission leader is doing right he had a delusion when he was on his mission when he was under intense pressure and experiencing immense trauma and he obsessed about it probably over the years until he uh, was able to make it come to pass. It's he made it happen through sheer force of will and delusion. I'm happy for him. It's the power of the priesthood, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, the church in Tonga, what an interesting history. I also thought it was interesting at the end of the movie when it's like, here's what everybody's up to now mm-hmm. in It really focused on Tongan folks who have moved to the U.S. Yes. It was a lot of like, this person ended up in California. Isn't that great? This person ended up 
in the U.S. somewhere. Isn't that great? And I was yeah. like, wait, what? So uh, there's just this like uncritical imperialism running through the movie. Right. What are like the people choice. on the island? How's that going? Right. And like, is moving to the U.S. inherently better? So this is, I'm going to read two quotes from great reviews of the movie that get into this. One is from the New York Times. And these came out in 2001 when the movie was first released. Mm -hmm. The New York Times review, the movie's vision of a white American zealously spreading a puritanical brand of Christianity to South Seas Islanders is one only a true believer could relish. Mm -hmm. The Tongan natives resemble a 1950s National Geographic cliche of childlike pagans being taken in hand by wiser, smarter Westerners. Right. Yep, who they just inherently trust Mm -hmm. because she came all this way. Yes. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about one thing really quick that we, in the breakdown, did not reach? Please the uh give me a white a half white baby well yeah we have to talk about that i mean i feel like that is the root of this um argument that the new york times review is making right yeah and it's just like so there's a scene right (laughs) where john h groberg's character is walking with this young woman who he's been teaching and she takes her clothes off and propositions him basically and he's like no 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 i don't want to do that i have some i'm saving myself for marriage and you should too right and also i have this war woman back home and Mm -hmm. i'm going to be true to her but then there's a scene right after it with her mom and she's like how dare you reject my daughter at the very least can you give us a half white baby right give us your seed give us your seed yeah and the movie just puts that out there and walks away yeah never to be brought up again and i'm like wait why why do they want a half white baby right what is this adding to the narrative <sighs> and it just makes these tongan women seem it's just caricatures of real people right and the mom is like oh give us uh, give us this halfway baby and when he says no and shows her a picture of his girlfriend back home she just cries and is like she's so beautiful Mm -hmm. like of course you can't uh you know abandon her and it's like what is happening here it's so strange the layers of weird racism and imperialism yeah it's anyway. just like too much childlike pagans there you go that's my example yes it makes me think too of the first funeral scene mm-hmm. where they're mourning in you know as is traditional in their culture and he's so like oh right. they're like really over the top and right. there's, there's this a kind professional of music Ooh, like, playing making yeah. fun of it there's also a fair amount of fat phobia towards the tongan characters sure. it's just bad all around yep um okay another review this is from the av club 2001 with the help of his adoring native sidekick gorham 
who plays John H. Groberg, sets about turning the Tongan people into non-smoking, non-drinking, tie-wearing, English-speaking Mormons. He succeeds with almost comic ease. Without bothering with newfangled moral or cultural relativism, the other side of heaven takes it as a given that accepting Christianity and becoming westernized is an inherent good that benefits everyone. Accordingly, it doesn't feature a single character who feels otherwise. Right. The Tongan people all but worship Gorham in his Western ways, and by the end of the film, they seem prepared to move to Utah, vote for Ike, and bake apple pies and stitch American flags in their spare time. Mm, yeah. And then literally at the end, the movie's like, here are the ones who made it to America. They did it. I just can't believe that no one in no one involved in making this, but also no one involved in the leadership of the church paused and said like are we representing this culture well are we even equipped to tell this story mm-hmm. and is this a story that makes us look good <laughs> right can we trust this return missionaries stories you know right right yeah which of course because he's a nice um young man in good standing in the church of course you can trust him right um one thing i read in an interview with the director is he said that um when the movie was before the movie was officially released like in theaters there was a showing for the first presidency and quorum of the 12 at the yeah. joseph smith memorial building mm. and he was like and it was like mitch davis and john h groberg were there showing it to them and they were mm-hmm. like so anxious about how the leaders of the church were going to feel about it and the story is that at the end like president hinckley who was the prophet at the time walked up to them tapped them with his cane and was like that was great it's gonna do a lot of good in the world (laughs) just over (laughs) everybody's head yeah i don't know are you really surprised no but come on disappointed i'm not surprised but i am a little and this is me like being really vulnerable here i am surprised that my 18 year old self did not have more awareness because mm-hmm. i don't like i said i don't remember loving this movie but i definitely wasn't like this is racist you might have seen it if it wasn't in the if it weren't in the context of mormonism yeah but that's really alarming to me that mm-hmm. um because of the way everything because of the way a movie like this was framed within mormonism and because mormonism was this frame through which we were taught to view the whole world and and that frame was like unimpeachable i just watched something like this pretty uncritically yeah and was like i it's it must be good it's trying to be good and the people in it are good and john h groberg must be good (laughs) it's alarming to see it in yourself there's a scene where a boy falls from a mango tree and his dad scoops him up runs him to john h groberg's hut Mm. and it's like save my child you Mm -hmm. need to you have the power to save him and he like prays and gives the kid a blessing and it seems like he feels inspired to like help the boy with his breathing and the boy survives and so watching that i'm thinking uh why does he need to be the one to do this didn't 
they have the priesthood in Tonga? Like, he wasn't the only one on the island with the priesthood. Because, mm. and I double-checked this to be sure that I was right. And it's true that um, even though the church did not grant the priesthood to Black members of the church until the 1970s, they did allow um, Polynesian and Pacific Islander members to have the priesthood obviously that's a whole can of worms and there's no justification for any of those priesthood bans based on race mm-hmm. it's all stupid bullshit but they did have the priesthood in tonga well at one point he pulls out all the paperwork for all the priesthood um yeah ordinations the priesthood ordinations and it's like a, a stack a great big stack right Right. They're they're organizing branches. There's a branch president there who is a Tongan man. I mean, the priesthood was on the island. They he wasn't the only one who could give a priesthood blessing. So it's things like this where it's just like he's being elevated because he's a white man from outside of the culture, outside of this like quote unquote primitive culture. And mm-hmm. so he must have the answers and the authority and the power. Yeah, and he's also conveniently the author of the story. Right, of course, of course. Moving off of racism to just horrific sexism and like purity culture fear-mongering, because that's another delightful theme in the movie, we have to talk about the scene where a boat comes along and says, we have room for three women. Yeah, that's pretty horrific yes very special moment in the movie so three young women like walk away from their families and go with these random strange men and the subtext is they're being like sex trafficked right yeah their families are screaming after them don't go don't go and one of and the branch president's daughter goes she's one of the Mm -hmm. women who goes so cut to the very next scene. Um, John H. Groberg is baptizing this Tongan woman, the one who propositioned him for a half-white baby, but who's now seniors of her ways and is like, I want to be a pure Mormon, and so I'm going to get baptized. She's getting baptized in the same montage the branch president's daughter is being led into a back room by this like old white man presumably to have sex horrific and i was like whoa (laughs) these are presented as your options yeah what a choice it's like purity Mm -hmm. till marriage or sex trafficking it is one of the darkest things i've seen in a long time and i'm watching house of the dragon right they really (laughs) went for it yeah Yeah, it was a real hbo moment it was extremely troubling and then there's a hurricane and this young woman who's been sex trafficked her body washes ashore and i was like there's just absolutely no way no that any of this is real there's no way katie right that hurricane was nuts i was thinking too this is what literally all of the money all of the seven million dollar budget mm-hmm. went to because i was like where's the seven million dollars going to mm-hmm. the hurricane sequence yeah um but yeah her l- living body washes up on the beach after the craziest hurricane which like destroyed everything mm-hmm. no didn't happen i don't trust this guy 
I don't trust the stories. They're just, it's funny too, because, um, we're getting ready to do an episode of the podcast about educated, which is a memoir. Right. And it's funny to me how, how much less skepticism I feel about the stories Tara Westover is telling in educated versus the stories John H. Groberg is telling in his memoir Mm -hmm. and this movie. Mm -hmm. And, uh, (laughs) and I'm, I've been thinking about that because in preparation for the episode on educated, I've been like looking at what friends of mine have said about educated on social media. And my like true believing Mormon friends are all like, she's a liar. She's exaggerating. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh really? You think so? I feel like her stories seem really yeah, yeah, plausible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's this skepticism, the other direction from the believing Mormons towards a, a story that doesn't make Mormonism out to be the hero. Yeah. And so it anyway, doesn't like really outright call out the religion. I mean, I know. It, it portrays the villains in her story as being fringe. Yes. You know, though they're active in the church, they're still, you know, clearly and I, weirdos. And I don't mean to get too into the weeds about educated yet because I know we're going to do a whole episode on it. I'm just saying, like, it's fascinating to me, like, the genre of a memoir and the level of trust or skepticism that an audience brings to it depending on their pre-existing beliefs right and again as an 18 year old believing mormon watching this movie i didn't have a strong negative reaction and now i'm like this is nonsense yeah i don't believe most of the stories and i find them dangerous Mm -hmm. not a very uplifting story for me so wouldn't recommend a rewatch of The Other Side of Heaven. It's actually kind of hard to find. It's not streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, even on Amazon, you can't rent it. And I mm-hmm. thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, we ended up streaming it. I streamed it on BYU TV, like their yeah, free web page. But that was the only place I could find it. Yeah. So no need to seek this one out. <laughs> not worth seeking out at all. It's pretty... Uh... Uh, pretty boring considering how over dramatized it is it's long it's a full length movie for no good reason mm-hmm. and um and it's awful mm-hmm. it's just generally awful so yeah give it a skip glad we watched it glad we watched it because it puts some things into perspective for me yeah i feel like more and more the more we talk about our experiences with um mormon media that we first encountered when we were young the more i realized like oh your frontal lobe forming fully at 25 sure does make a big difference yeah it's like night and day man like something really clicked on Mm -hmm. in my in my mid-20s and i was like wait uh no all of this doesn't hold up anymore (laughs) And it's just becoming clearer and clearer to me as we encounter more of these things. I know. And now you have to rewatch them and, and deal with the horror of, I was okay with this. Yeah. That's yeah. Fine. There's like a little bit of shame there. I'm going to be honest. I don't think, obviously, I don't think you should feel shame about it, but I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely can't relate because I was 10. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're not accountable for any of this stuff no i don't i don't hold myself accountable at all so i'm just uh 
I'm feeling pretty all right about it. You know who should be ashamed? Anne Hathaway. <sighs> Anne Hathaway. Yeah. And I bet she, she should... is. I she bet probably... she leaves this off the CV. She probably had it scrubbed off the internet. <laughs> it's only the Mormons who are like, we got Anne Hathaway, everybody. Man. And the Mormons just love this stupid movie. Reading the reviews, just like the IMDb reviews was like the... mind numbing. I mean, it has a terrible score on like Rotten Tomatoes. For sure. It's just got, and that's another thing. I never into the, my 2001 18 year old brain never would have even thought to look up a review of the movie and see what the outside world thought of it. But doing that, I'm just like, oh yeah, everybody hated it. And everybody knew even then it wasn't like in 2001, we didn't know what was racist or imperialist. Like everybody knew that this was bad. And as a Mormon, like all of the Mormon, the true blue Mormon reviewers are like this is a great movie for anyone and here's Mm -hmm. why and all of the non-mormon reviewers are like this is unwatchable if you're not lds yep and so i'm gonna trust them yeah and i think it's like a wake-up call for all mormons i wish i had realized like you're not seeing the world the way that uh the rest of the world is seeing it no and i do think that mormons are, are aware of that and it's like a badge of honor like well yeah because we see it f- through the lens of truth mm-hmm. and it's like no you don't right the rest of the world the majority of the world is not wrong yeah yeah sorry i'm so sorry sorry pals um one last note that i had written down uh so john h groberg says that the people in Tonga couldn't say his name, Elder Groberg, so they called him Koli Pokey. Mm-hmm. And um, so throughout the movie, they call him Koli Pokey. And just in my notes, I wrote, Koli Pokey is an imperialist bitch. Mm. <laughs> Amen. And on that note. And on that note. Wrap it up. Hurrah for Israel. Hurrah for Israel. Well, like we said, next episode is all about Educated by Tara Westover. So feel free to pull out your copy and brush up on it for the discussion. A little light reading. Oh, gosh. Yeah. A light reading. Uh, (laughs) It is not. But it's definitely um, got a lot more depth than The Other Side of Heaven. Yeah. Yes. To say the least. In the meantime... Follow us everywhere at Please Bless Pod. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, we post our um, episodes there so you can watch us talk about it and not just listen. Mm-hmm. And follow us on all the streaming platforms and leave us a nice review. Yes. If you feel so inclined. All of that, please. please. And then if you want to get in touch with us, send us episode ideas uh or other thoughts our email address is pleaseblesspod at gmail.com and that's all folks that's all hurrah for israel please bless this podcast please bless annie hathaway (laughs) amen amen